All right, welcome to the uh, Nebraska Athletic Podcast. Um, I'm Jeremy Foote. I'm joined here with Brian Rosenthal. Um, we're starting a podcast. We're going to see how it goes. So uh, basic of the podcast, we're going to be uh, trying to give you fans some inside uh, look to the Nebraska Athletic Department. Uh, we'll have some interviews with players, coaches, um, staff members. For example, today we're going to talk with uh, Jamie Vaughn, who's the Associate AD for Compliance. Jamie's going to come on and... Uh, try and educate us about the new red shirt rule that's going to be in, in place for uh, college football this year. So, so Brian, we're podcasting. What do you think about this? I think it's great. Love it. <laughs> okay, wonderful. We're entering the 21st century. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. So Slowly um, but surely. So quickly, just uh, give everyone uh, a quick background on us, and they probably don't care too much, but in case for those who do. Um, I'm Jeremy Foote. I'm the director of website services here at Nebraska, at the University of Nebraska. Um, I manage Huskers.com and um, also manage our new app that I think fans are going to be excited about that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks. We'll have more about that later, um, but it's going to be a great game day app, um, much better for our fan base. Uh, I've worked in Nebraska for about 10 years, um, worked in sports information for a while, worked with track and field, cross country soccer, volleyball. Uh, last year in the Big 12, I worked with volleyball and then worked with baseball for six years before coming over here. And uh, I think, Brian, you have a, a little bit more diverse path than I have because I've basically worked here ever since I got out of college. But you've been at a couple different places. Yeah, this is my starting my third year here, third school year at the uh, university in the athletic department. I started the very first football game of the uh, 2000. 16 season so yeah this will be my third year and came over here after spending some 17 years at the Lincoln Journal Star uh, covering Nebraska football men's and women's basketball gymnastics uh, helped out with a lot of high school coverage and also more university sports too but came here in uh, September of 16 and getting excited for the, the third year and the football season coming up. So you've obviously been to a lot of events, like you just said, Nebraska events, high school events. Do you have a top event or 1A, 1B event that you've covered that, or, or I, yeah, I guess event that you've covered, not just something you've been as a fan that that you remember? Well, I hardly ever go to games as fans <laughs> because I'm always working. So, um, I yeah, I think obviously the, the no-sit Sunday Wisconsin basketball game of the 2013-14 basketball season was one of those moments I'll never forget. Just the atmosphere, the, the way the fans reacted, and uh, just to see everybody actually stand the entire game like that, I just it, it, it's remarkable. I just thought that was uh, a really fun experience. Yeah, I didn't really think that event all the way through. I remember I went to that. I probably... the where my seats are at are basketball. That's one of the events uh, Nebraska I'm actually a go-to as a fan because I don't uh, have working duties at basketball very often. So uh, I sit right in front of the media section. A lot of times I sit right in front of where you do. Uh, I took my two-year-old son that game and had to hold him the entire event. <laughs> so that's something I'll never forget was, yes, it was a cool game, but then also my back killed me for about a week because <laughs> I held my son for the entire game. Um, okay, well, let's get into it. Um, I think today, as we said, we're going to talk with Jamie later on, uh, but we're going to knock down some other things that uh, are coming up on the docket or have happened recently. Um, first, coming up right next week is uh, Big Ten Media Days. Uh, I know I think Big 12 Media Days are happening right now. I'm sure the SEC ones are coming up soon. So um, for fans that don't know, Big, Big Ten Media Days is basically um, all the teams, uh, coaches, usually about three players from each, each school, which uh, I believe has been announced. The players from Nebraska they are going are Stanley Morgan. Correct. Gerald Foster. Correct. And Mick Stoltenberg. Correct. Correct. Three for three. You are three for three. Um, so, and uh, Scott Frost. And, yes, Scott Frost, this person that, uh, you know. Is, he, he's the football coach. He's the football coach, if people didn't know. Not heard that. Uh, yeah, he'll be there as well. And basically, all the teams, all the players get in one location in Chicago, downtown, and then all the media from both local and national media members. Uh, embark on Chicago so they can uh, meet with everybody at the same time. You will be there. I will not. Um, you've probably been to many media days across different conferences. What, for fans that have never been there, what is media day like? A lot of coach speak. 
It really is. A lot of cliches. You know, I don't think personally that media days are as big of a thing as what they used to be, especially with social media and just the access that people have to, to players and coaches. And I mean, it used to be back in the day that you went all summer long without hearing anything about Nebraska football or Kansas basketball or whatever the sport or team is. And when media days came up, that was a sign that, all right, we get to figure out what's been going on all summer. Well, now everybody writes and tweets and does everything 24-7, really, and 365. There's really no break in coverage. So it's now it's just kind of repeating some of the same stuff that we've heard in the spring and over the summer. There might be a couple of updates of things that we don't know, maybe player injuries or personnel players who've left or um, maybe uh, – thought about leaving and didn't or vice versa you know so some odds and ends and some housekeeping items but by and large it's talking about what we've been talking about since spring yeah and is it I, I guess you probably would have had a different um, thought of it when you worked at the Journal Star opposed to working for us and you're basically here to cover Nebraska um, I guess this is an opportunity for media members to meet with teams other than the team that they cover on a daily basis like you said mm-hmm. back 10 years ago when you didn't have social media, um, it's probably kind of hard to get in contact with the Purdue football coach and players and other than calling them. But now, like mm-hmm. you said, you, you can you can see everything pretty much on a daily, hourly basis. Yeah, it's always a good opportunity to ask questions of the other coaches and other players. And, uh, you know, some reporters take that uh, to an extreme and they'll ask all of the players one certain question or do polls about this and that, about other teams in the league and try to have fun with it. So... Yeah, it is an opportunity to to uh, to meet and, t- and talk with other players and coaches and learn about their teams. But you come back to it, and the, the audience that I'm writing for wants to know about the team I'm covering. So I don't know what the interest is of uh, – I don't know how many people around here will, would care if I do an interview with the Purdue offensive tackle. But he's there if you want to talk to him. Yeah. Well, maybe he's not, but somebody from Purdue <laughs> Somebody from Purdue. Well, like I said, it's in Chicago. Um, I guess I don't know if you're a pizza guy. Are you, are you Team New York style pizza or are you a Team um, Deep Dish? I, it's pizza. I, it, it, it's hard to screw up pizza, I, I think. So I'll, I'll eat either one. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. Do you, if you're in Chicago, do you have a – then it gets deeper. Is there, a, is there a certain place you have to go to? I don't know of any. Oh, no, okay. No. Well, I'm sure – So if sh- you have any suggestions, I'll, I'll be listening. So uh, I like Lou Malnati's. I'm sure Seamus will have some some uh, some ideas for you. Yeah, Seamus is going. I'll have to ask him. We That's may have right. just started a, a battle here with people listening that we don't want to get <laughs> into. But so we'll pass over that quickly. Um, well, we we talked about football just a little bit there. But let's let's talk more about actual football season, which surprisingly is coming up really quick. Um, we're recording this on Thursday, so that means we're 15 days to start a fall camp. How crazy is that? That, yeah, August 3rd, that's right. That's correct, August 3rd. Players report August 2nd, and I believe there's a media gathering on August 2nd, and practice starts on the 3rd, mm-hmm. and here we go. It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing that it's here again already. Have you felt so, I mean, the the season gets, the 2017 season gets over, Scott obviously gets, we have, the, we have the staffs changed, Scott comes in. I feel like it's just, it's kind of been, Obviously, it's been a different football season from norm, like off season from normal. But is it kind of just felt like it's football season? Not that football season never ends, but this season's been this off season been different just because of the change, and it's it seems like football has never really ended. Absolutely, I think there's been so much excitement with Scott Frost and the changes in the offense and weight and conditioning and strength and conditioning and off-season programs and everybody's always talking about that and all the gains they've made and I, I think everybody after seeing the spring game and getting a glimpse of what can be that just made people more excited and I, yeah I, I like you said it's never stopped I just think the interest is at an all-time high right now and we'll uh we'll get a first-hand look here to, to see what it's like yeah and for people that may be hearing a thud every once in a while Brian and I are not sure what it is. We believe it's something going I'm, on floors above us with construction. I'm not kicking the table no. or anything. We're not so. mad at we're not we're not throwing. Well, there is a lot of construction going on around here. We've got the uh, the north lobby is totally torn up right now. I'm putting a new tile or flooring mm-hmm. or something like that. And 
upstairs or out in the, in the uh, concourse of North Memorial Stadium, they're still building the new restrooms and concession stands for people, I think, on third, what be, would be the third level. So Yes, I believe so. So there's uh, more opportunity uh, for, for fans to get closer to those amenities this fall, so that'll be nice. And yeah, just a lot of uh, booming and banging going on around here. So yes. bear with us. Uh, we also added new lights this year. Um, the lights are in. That's yes. right. The LEDs. Which I'm not fully sure. At some point, we're going to have John Ingram hopefully come on and give us an idea of what the new lights are all about. I think they're supposed to be brighter. And also, uh, for the fans up in East Stadium, um, less bugs, from what I understand. Is that for real? I, I so I so as I said before, I run the website. I got a lot of emails last year from fans that were upset that uh, they were bothered by bugs attracted to the lights, which you normally see. And I do remember um, talk that the new lights were less bug attractive. So we'll see. Hmm. Yet to be, yet to be seen. I find that interesting. Yes, it'd be great if it's true. Yes. I just don't know why a bug would not be attracted to a certain kind of light. I don't, I don't know. Because because I actually laughed when they told me that, thinking that it was a joke. Like, oh yeah, these new lights won't do that. And they were like, no, really, the new lights don't. See, I thought it was a joke. Bugs. I thought it was a joke as well. No. So. They, wow. All right. Um, so let's see. We're 44 days then from the start of football season, uh, like actual kickoff, September 1. Um, so what? I mean, I know you've gotten over some of it. What are you most excited to see at practice in the fall camp and leading up to September 1? Well, I think a lot of folks, me included, will be eyeing the quarterbacks a lot. And Adrian Martinez, Andrew Bunch, uh, Tristan Gebbia are the, are the three main contenders there. Uh, Noah Bedrill obviously can practice but can't play this fall, mm-hmm. but we'll still take a look at him. But I think that's probably the most interesting battle going into fall camp but it's not the only one there's a you know you can go back to running back too we still have no idea who will be the first person to take snaps at at running back and I don't think that it's necessarily the first person out there is going to be the guy the first game I it could be a by committee thing um is Trey Bryant healthy will he come back this fall he's from what I understand doing well making progress in the summertime of course he wasn't involved in spring football at all because he was recovering from that knee injury that the sideline him after only two games last year so if he can return healthy maybe it's his job and I'll be looking at him too to see what he's how he's running how he's treating that knee uh, how much he's participating in practice what he's doing so I think that's a, a key thing to watch as well I'm gonna be really interested to watch um the front front on both sides um just because like you said a lot's been made of the strength and conditioning program um Obviously, we're running a different type of offense this year, and I'm just I'm, I'm going to be interested to see the progress that uh, those guys have made. Obviously, some new faces will be coming in. Um, Eric Chandler's talked a lot about the defense. Some people, like last year, we switched to a 3-4, and some people say Eric runs a 3-4, and he's kind of came out and said, not really. Yeah, yeah. Not really. It's 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 a it's a it's it's a mix, and we're gonna we're gonna it's kind ad- of a hybrid. Yes, we're gonna, like we're gonna that. adjust, and yeah. so I'm interested to see that kind of how how the front. I guess it would be front seven on defense. Yeah. Um, how the front seven looks. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see the. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Greg Austin does with the offensive line, and um, I think that's something that maybe is gonna kind of surprise people. Um, that's just me. I have no ins- I have no insight on that. I don't know if Greg Austin would even know who <laughs> if I was if I came and talked to him. But um, I'm most interested to see that. Um, so first game, night game, non-conference game. First game is always an exciting time. But can you think of another time where the kickoff of the season is going to be more amped up than it will be on September 1st. You know, I, th- I think uh, of a lot of season openers that I've been very intrigued about because there's always, whether it's a new coach or a new quarterback or new coordinator, there's something always seems to be new over the last 10 to 15 years that each season there's something that really draws your interest, and I think the fans um, are interested and get amped up too. But the only thing I can think of quite like this except for maybe Bill Callahan in 2004 in the West Coast offense you know people were really amped up about that probably the the next coaching 
next two coaching changes. I think anytime there's a new head coach, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of interest. So, but I really can't remember too much about the Bo Pelini first game. But was it Tennessee Chattanooga? I don't even remember what the team was to be honest with you. Yeah, I can't remember. I have um, to go back and look. And of course, Mike Riley's was BYU, and so I think people get excited for the first coaches. But the one opener that I always go back to that I think fans were amped up more than anything I can think of was 2003 Oklahoma State. That was the year after the 7-7 seven and seven season, uh, and Frank had made a bunch of coaching changes. Bo Pelini came in as defensive coordinator. A lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns with all the changes because at that time, change was... There, there wasn't change, mm-hmm. you know. It was so that was a big, big deal in two thousand three to have that many new coaches and a new coordinator, and to top it off, then you got a conference game to start, and it'll be that way. Is it next year or two years from now? Purdue is the first game of the season. So, yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, I, I think all of that combined with the fact that it was a conference game, Oklahoma State was a very good team, um, up and coming under less miles at that point. So I I go back to that to the 2003. I, I would say there's as much oomph and energy and excitement and everything. Probably more so now than that game. But that's the that's the one that I can go back and really think of is that 2003 Oklahoma State game, which Nebraska won 17 to seven. I mean, if I was a um, restaurant bar hotel owner in Lincoln, I'm sure you plan out a long time ahead for Nebraska football season for home games. But just thinking ahead that this is. Scott Frost first game. It's a 7 p.m. game. And September 1st, hopefully you're going to have good weather. It it just seems like everything's kind of lining up that the city's going to be pretty jacked up. That oh, day. yeah. It, it's everything's – it'll be the perfect storm. It's, mm-hmm. It really is. And uh, it's – there won't be a empty seat in the house. And just, yeah, again, you hope for good weather too. But yeah. I, I think regardless that – it's yeah it's just got the makings of a of a really really big weekend I actually had a buddy uh text me the other day and he goes hey i'm trying to find um some tickets for the akron game which as we haven't said that's that's who's nebraska's playing on the on the opening opening game and i said okay well how many are you looking for and he said uh, i'm trying to find four tickets <laughs> and i said you you're talking about the akron game is in the season opener right and he said yeah so you realize that scott frost first game is a night game right and he goes yeah and i said <laughs> are you ready to like put a mortgage out in your house to get those four tickets? Because <laughs> yeah. I I don't know of anyone that's going to be selling those those tickets. Um, but I told him I'd keep my eye out in case a miracle happens. Um, so something else about football season. We're obviously going to talk to Jamie about this later. He's going to probably educate us a lot more. What uh, are you surprised that the redshirt rule is going into effect? And it kind of I I didn't think it would happen this year. I thought it would be yeah, next I, year. I, the rule itself, no, I'm not surprised, but it, it happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will I will say I was surprised by that. Pleasantly surprised, but I didn't expect it like you. I thought it would happen next year or the year after. I figured there'd be more discussion on it or something like that. But, nope, here we are. It's this year, and I think it's great. I was kind of surprised, not just the implementation, but I was also surprised. I figured it would be, okay, they're going to do the four games. Maybe it would be the first four games. And from my understanding, it's – Four games all season. If you want to play game one and two and then play game 10 and 12, go for it. I also thought, considering what's been happening with bowl games the last couple of years where you've had high-end players that aren't playing in the college football playoffs say, hey, I'm not taking a risk on my draft stock. I'm not going to play. I know um, um, who's the, the running back from Stanford. I'm missing on his name now. Um, McCaffrey's son. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, he sat out, and then I know last year a couple other players sat out. Um I thought they would just open up bowl games and say, hey, from now on, it's technically, it's a, if you're not in the playoff, it's an exhibition game. Sure. Anybody that wants to play, go for it. No harm, no foul. Um, I guess what, are, what, do you, what do you see as the biggest benefits? I think those are more outweigh the negatives. And then do you see any negatives of this, of this rule, and, you know, coaches that are probably going to try and take advantage of it? I'm sure there'll be – some ways to take advantage of it. I, I can't really think of any off the top of my mm-hmm. head that it's going to be a detriment, but the good the good things are obvious. It gives young players a chance to get on the field, and we've seen it in past years that maybe a true freshman goes out there and 
first game, second game of the season, and then for whatever reason, coaches determined that he wasn't ready or, or maybe he felt not ready, and then we don't see him again the rest of the year mm-hmm. for whatever reason. If that happens, you don't lose a year, so that's great. Uh, obviously, injury situations, especially later in the year, how many times have we heard are they going to burn so-and-so's red shirt because there's zero depth that defensive tackle or whatever the position may be. Happened here two years ago. Tommy Armstrong gets hurt. There then you, you have Riker Five playing with a broken wrist or a finger or something. And mm-hmm. you're thinking, I think at the time it was Patrick O'Brien. And do we pull this guy's red shirt for one game? There and, you go. Yeah. And it, it, it's that's a tough push situation to put that freshman in because he's a he's a freshman. And you're almost putting that freshman above the rest of the team because you're saying, hey, we don't have another option. He's our best option, but we don't want to hurt him. Well, now, playing for a game or two and get you, get you by, and then it, it doesn't hurt him. And at the same time, if I'm a senior and I'm saying, we're playing the third-string quarterback that is also a wide receiver, like, you guys are throwing my season away by not letting this guy play. So it, it probably kind of cuts some of those team dynamic things out. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the biggest positive of this rule is considering injuries and I, I that's just great to know that you can play that person if the situation arises you don't have the the Riker five Patrick O'Brien do we or don't we thing I that's that's the number one positive out of this the next would just be coaches being able to see what they have in this player again as you said earlier he might play the first two games and then eh, he wasn't quite ready but no harm no foul we've yep. got this redshirt rule so we can do that and then the other thing would be say it's a team that first year coach um low expectations there's no bowl game toward the end of the year they're building for the future let's play all these freshmen and see what we've got these last couple games and uh, that would be another ways as far as a positive is just to see what coaches have in their freshmen at the end of the year if they want to get a glimpse and a head start for the following spring if there's no bowl game moving past football and this will be a good thing to ask jamie the thing i'm most interested in is obviously it's going to start with football but i don't see how this doesn't eventually filter down to other sports how is it going to be implemented in other sports i mean for football we're talking about four games that's about a fourth of the season are you going to do that in basketball, 30 games? Or are you going to let someone play around 10 games? Uh, if you're in baseball, that's a tough one because, okay, you got 56 games. We'll say you're going to let someone play 10 to 15 games. Well, if I'm a starting pitcher and I'm a freshman, I basically can play my entire season, and that doesn't count against me because if you're a pitcher, you're going to pitch, you know, if you're a weekend starter. Um, so those are that, that'll be some interesting stuff. I'd like to hear Jamie's take on how, how he thinks those rules will be applied moving forward. Yeah, there'd be situations like that where you can end up playing five years and yeah. see, like you said, your pitching situation that maybe he would pitch as much as he would if he if there wasn't a red shirt. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so you're, then you're talking about a, a kid who technically has five years playing. Yeah. So, and you know, I, I'm all for um, kind of like what you said, opportunities for players to to get on the field, and um, it's such a short time that most of these guys are not going to be playing at any sport aren't going to be playing at the professional level. If, I'm not saying we need to start letting guys play six, seven years of eligibility, but if you're going to be here for probably five years because of school, figure out a way to get them on the field and let them play. And there's also, it, it evens out, maybe if you're looking in recruiting and a coach makes the promise to a kid to get him to the school, hey, you will play as a true freshman, and then they get here and they don't. That kind of negates that whole thing because he can play mm-hmm. without – the redshirt thing so you don't have that working for you or against you in recruiting it's even across the board now everybody knows that they can play so he's not going to choose school a over school b for you know one coach who says yeah you're going to play and another coach over here says no we'll probably redshirt you or whatever it's it's an even game now in recruiting and i don't know, I'm, i don't know if this 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 would actually apply because like i said it's only four games but from an injury standpoint if you're saying hey this guy's maybe not ready to play on offense or defense, but maybe he's a guy we can use on special teams. Or maybe you have a couple guys like this. It's like, hey, we can play this guy in four games. We got three other guys. We can play them in four games, four games, four games. And then you're not having another guy play defense and special teams and maybe maybe avoid some injury situations there. But that's probably kind of a long shot. 
Yeah, we'll see what Jamie has to say about it as yeah. well. I'm sure he has some more insight and uh, more positives and negatives. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of negatives, but uh, if there are, he'll probably fill us in on them. So we'll look forward to talking to Jamie here in a while. Um, okay, so transitioning from football, we're going to look at a winter sport, well, fall slash winter sport, uh, men's basketball, which is a sport at the Journal Star you covered extensively for quite a while. You've continued to cover it here at Nebraska. Um, I guess the biggest thing coming in the summer was – well, it was two things. It was uh, James Palmer and Copeland. Were, were you surprised or weren't you surprised? And what did you think was going to happen with those two? Oh, I figured they would both come back. Okay. I, you wonder, with Copeland, because of his age, he's 23, his, his clock's ticking. Maybe he would consider moving on. Um, but I didn't think either player would probably get drafted in the NBA this year. Again, Copeland, maybe I, I could have seen leave to go overseas, like I said, get his professional career going because of his age. But by and large, no, I was not surprised by either one of those players' decisions. Uh, they both say that they want to come back mm-hmm. and, and help Nebraska get to that pinnacle. Well, no pun intended. Yeah. But, uh, something Nebraska has never done before, and that's win in the NCAA tournament. First of all, they got to get there, and they haven't done that for a few years, but I – I think with these two players back and, and their intent and, and talent and expectations and everything are high, I, I, I have high hopes that they'll do that this year too. But, I, yeah, I was not surprised. I figured that they wanted to come back after last year's disappointing finish and, and kind of atone for that. I Honestly, I was a little bit surprised that uh, Copeland came back just for the reasons you said. He graduated, and for anyone that yeah, has graduated too. college, a lot yeah. of people – I mean, for those that don't know, he – to come back and play he's got to still go back to school you can't just come oh, yeah. here lift weights go to practice now um, it might be underwater basket weaving or something yeah. it doesn't have to be calculus but he's got to take something you're yeah right. the, in what about uh a month or so he'll be starting classes and as someone that's graduated you know that i'm sure factors decision do i like you said do i go overseas and start making money or uh, do i stay here and come back and play basketball and go to school and so I think I think that part of it to me showed that um how much he wanted to come back and be part of the team and how much he was buying into what what Tim is is building here and um so I was really impressed with that Uh, I was with you I I thought James would be back um I I the NBA draft is so weird with only two rounds and it seems like unless you're a like a legit freshman or sophomore I mean it's if you're a junior or senior you it's it's hard to get drafted now I mean look at uh, Kate's um, um, Ohio State mm-hmm. uh, I'm blanking on his last name now and he got drafted by the Timberwolves who's my favorite team um, I think he was player of the year in, in the Big Ten if I'm not wrong and he was a the 42nd pick in the draft so it is hard to get drafted in the NBA Especially when you consider the the overseas players that you yes. never hear about, unless you're an avid NBA fan mm-hmm. and you follow the draft and leading up to it. But you get to the draft and there's all of a sudden these names that, from foreign countries you've never heard of, and, and they're getting drafted over the the juniors and seniors, as you're mentioning. And there's only what 60 spots total. Yeah, it's, roughly about there. So yeah, you're right. It's hard. There's not a lot of. It's not the NFL. It's not the in or the. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball, which they draft thousands of yeah. players or anything, so it's it's hard. It's really like you say, it's it's hard to get drafted. And the and the NBA has switched so much to potential. And it, when you're a junior in college, you're you kind of not that you can't get better, but you've you've kind of passed on the hey, this is what we think we're gonna get. He's gonna get to. You see so many freshmen now that are drafted in the NBA draft, and they're done in two two or three years because they actually never make the potential yeah. that they're at. So. Um, we'll move on from that. Keep talking basketball, though. Um, I know a lot of fans have been looking. You were around for this time. 13-14 season. Great run. First year at PBA. Um, team makes the NCAA tournament. And then the next year, a lot of the same guys back. Really underwhelming season. I know Tim's answered it a lot. I know when um, new coach came in, Armand Gates, he talked about it a lot because he was just at Northwestern where they experienced the same thing. Two seasons ago, unbelievable season. They make a run to the tournament. Um, then last year they struggle. You've probably talked to Tim about this or heard him talk about it. What what can you 
what can they do this summer to avoid that let that sophomore sophomore letdown? I don't know what necessarily over the summer they do. Obviously, they still have their workouts and individual workouts and conditioning and team workouts, and they can do a lot more in basketball over the summer than than they used to be able to. In fact, I'd have to go back to to that thirteen fourteen season. In the following summer, they might even be able to do more now than they did then. I'm not for sure when the rules changed with the eight weeks of team workouts and everything, but it's more of a. I, I think it's more of a mental chemistry type thing than than anything else. And you know, both teams had talent. I think this team is really cohesive. They had a really cohesive unit last year. I know Tim really enjoyed that team probably more so being around him than any other team he's had here and they're back so I I think just the fact that they get along they're cohesive they're talented and they they seem very very determined and you know this this team didn't make the tournament this is that's a big difference too the 2013-14 team made the tournament yeah this team did not yep so they have that chip on their shoulder that Hey, we went thirteen and four, placed fourth in the Big Ten, the very first Big Ten team to go thirteen wins in conference and not make the tournament. And then on top of that, to get sent on the road as a five seed in the NIT, I mean, that was a huge slap in the face mm-hmm. to that team. I mean, they felt it. They felt disrespected. So I think comparing the two seasons, that team in thirteen fourteen was coming off an actual tournament berth with expectations this team has expectations but a big chip on their shoulder i think it's a huge difference i think there's the motivating factor there that that will uh push them farther than maybe the 13 14 following season it's just crazy how many things were very much alike between those two teams i mean i was looking at them last night you had so the 13 14 team went 15 and one at home had a one point loss to michigan last year 16 and one at home one point loss to kansas um, if we take road and neutral site, this is just regular season together. 13-14, they went 4-10. and 10. Last year's team went 6-8. and eight. So better road record for last year's team. Didn't make the tournament. Um, last year's team, 9-0 and oh at home in conference, 4-5 and five on the road. 13-14, 8-1 at home in conference, 3-6 and six on the road. I think and from an RPI standpoint, last year we ended the season 54 in the RPI, 13-14 ends the year, RPI 53. The biggest difference... 13-14, strength of schedule was 30. Last year, yeah. 90. And, and, it's, it, and it's not on us. It was The conference was down as a whole. I mean, if you look at the wins we had in 13-14, you had Ohio State, 25 in the RPI. Minnesota, 34. Michigan State, that's a road game. That was 12. Wisconsin, end of the year, the game you were talking about earlier, was RPI of 3. This year, we only had, I think, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. And, and then, then you had the whole quad system. Yeah, and then you're only – I mean, the only games you really had a chance to win that would have helped you were Purdue on the road, and they were nine, and then Penn State was 45. I mean, you didn't even have the opportunities to – I mean, I think the team did it's, – it's tough to say. Like, last year was like, well, you should have done more. You should be Kansas. Okay, well, great. But other than that, there – I don't know what else they really could have done besides win a few more road games, which it's hard to win in college basketball on the road, which we proved because we were lost one game all year at home. Yeah, and again, I go back to the, the quadrant system and the quad ones versus the quad twos and everything, and that's what all the experts and everybody said that hurt Nebraska. It's, the, it's related to the strength of schedule. They just didn't beat those higher-tier teams. The ironic thing is, is that everybody said they needed to beat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament to get another quad one win well that would have been another quad one win but it would have bumped Michigan down enough that the victory over Michigan in Lincoln would not have counted anymore as a quad Mm -hmm. one win so regardless they were going to come out of that game with only one quad win win or lose it's really bizarre to me I'm like so you're actually hurting yourself by beating this team because you're knocking them away because it was a home game. And I can't remember what, what the cutoff is. Is it 75 or 50 or whatever? But anyway, yeah. Michigan would have dropped 
just far enough that that home victory over Michigan would not have counted anymore as a quad one win. Now you have this one at the tournament, and maybe that looks better because it's a neutral side one. I don't know, but quad one is quad one. So anyway, that's the that's the big difference between the, the two uh, the thirteen fourteen season and, and last season was just the strength of schedule overall. Yeah, and it's I mean, it, it's just crazy to look at it like it's. You almost just had to do the eye test last year. Nebraska is kind of the, the weird thing of the resume is tough to look at, but it's hard to do, put a resume together when you don't have the opportunity to put the resume together. And so this kind of leads into our next question from the eye test of, we. I think we've talked about it before, time isn't a factor. You have 13-14 team. We're going to say we're going to do a scrimmage before the season and fast forward 13-14 team to now versus yeah. – we'll just say we'll, – we won't say – team coming back this year but last year's team who are you who are you taking gosh that's tough um gotta stop and think for a little bit i mean Petaway versus palmer i mean who do you like in that matchup mm-hmm. um and then shields are, are copeland we, are or we, shields and roby i mean we, you know you can I like Roby myself right now. So, so just so that we're thinking on the same, what who would be your starting? I think we know the starting five from last year. We'll just we'll go with you've got Glenn, James, um, Roby, Copeland, Copeland, and um, Taylor. And Probably. we'll have Gil coming off the bench. Yeah. Okay, so you've got those five. Who who's your starting five for the thirteen fourteen? So you're, you're talking starting five from last year, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. So if we're going thirteen fourteen, you've got Petaway. Pitchford, Shields, um, Ty Webster started almost every game. So then is Ray Gallegos. We'll Gallegos over, over Rivers. Okay, so you've got Gallegos. Just yeah. to work on the same five. So your 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 backcourt is probably Ray and um, Ty. Ty. Okay. So are you taking those two or are you taking uh, Glenn and Evan? Evan Taylor. That's uh, that might be a wash right there. Yeah, I think it kind of is. Okay, so then you're looking at you've got uh, um, Petaway versus Palmer. That's a tough one. That's a very tough one. And then you're looking at your back, your front court. So on one side you've got Shields and Pitchford versus Roby and Copeland, and that might be the breaking point for me because I think I would I would take Copeland and Roby. I would too. So maybe that's the difference. Maybe maybe they make the difference. I think Roby's the difference maker. Not only in this conversation of, of, of last year versus 13-14, but just in general, I think a difference maker going Agreed. forward for this team. I Obviously, everybody's talking about Palmer and Copeland coming back, rightly mm-hmm. so, but uh, I that, that kid really uh, really grew a lot, yeah. blossomed last year, and I, he's not even scraped the ceiling of his potential yet, I think. I if- if he makes the same progress he made from freshman to sophomore to freshman, sophomore to junior, it could be really good this year. Yeah, it might be his last year. You never know. Uh, I, well, let's, say, let's put it this way. I, I, I hope it's his last year because that means he's really yeah. good, and we're probably going to be really good. Yeah, I, I could see him. Tim probably doesn't want me to say that. Well, probably not. But, hey, I, 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 yeah, he's a great kid, too, and he's another one who really wants to win. And – I just think he's a difference maker in a lot of areas, offensively, defensively. He's he's always there. He's, you know, how many block shots did he have mm-hmm. last year? And he's always altering shots or getting a hand in there and deflecting a pass or hustling after a ball, making a huge shot, energy plays, dunks. He, he's just he's just there everywhere. It seems like you look up and there's Isaiah Roby. So I think he's a big difference maker, and I I, I think he'll be a a big reason that Nebraska makes it to the tournament this year. So obviously looking at him, you lose Taylor, you lose Gill, lose McVay, but Taylor and Gill were your your big contributors. What what else do you see that this team needs to get more out of this year other than hopefully a little bit uh, better schedule uh, from the conference? But what do you – what do you see this year that they need to do that is going to propel them to that next level? Well, I still think that they're probably missing a surefire three-point shooter. I think long-range shooting in general. I have to look, go back and look at the percentages last year. Copeland was did well from three-point range. Palmer, not so much. But I, if they had like a Ray Gallegos-type player um, – 
just a go-to three-point mm-hmm. shooter. I don't know if there's that guy in the roster or not. I, you know, there's a couple of freshmen coming in that I've not seen and I don't know a lot about right now. I don't know if they'll play or not, but uh, I, I think that's one area uh, or one spot that I would I would like to see them have more. Yeah, that's probably one thing. I mean, from seeing a lot of the other teams in the Big Ten, it seems like everyone has that one guy that when he catches it and he's open, and you're just like, "Oh man, that's going in." And we've had guys kind of like that, but it seems like since Ray left, that's kind of made, maybe been a piece that's been missing. Yeah, you know, you go back to Paul Vlander and, and Marcus Perry and Kerry Cohorn, and um, I'm missing a couple, but I, I can think of games at Devaney. Where Andrew White. Andrew White. I mean. That was uh, those like like you said those are guys that as an opposing fan or player or whatever you see them catch the ball and you're like oh yep. crap guy you know can't let him shoot mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's it'd be nice to have I guess that's what I'm saying is somebody like that that you know that when he gets the ball and it, he shoots it you know it's going in and you're right they haven't really had a lot of that recently and I think that's one thing that they could really use this year. Um, so next topic, we're going to look at uh, something a little bit off the field. Um, I know I'm skipping down the script on you a little bit, but something you went to the other day, the ro- the, uh, the Oscar football road race uh, took place just outside of, well, the finish line took place outside of uh, West Stadium. Uh, sixth year of the road race, I believe. Um, all the proceeds go to pediatric brain cancer research at the UNMC Buffett Cancer Center. Um, from what I could find, they've made a little over $100,000 for that research, which is great. Um, you took in the event. Was it the first one you've ever been to? And I went last year as okay. well. I went, yeah, I went last year as well. And they had a record number of runners, 840 this year. And I think the previous record was 700 and something. But the event is growing more and more each year, and that's great to see. And it's obviously for a great cause. And Nebraska's done a lot with, with pediatric brain cancer and um, – not just with football, but you look at what they do for uh, leukemia and Chris Harriman, son Avery, and, and the, the cheek swab and the registry list at a basketball game every year. Uh, so Nebraska does a, a great job with uh, events like this and helping out great causes. So, And not only that, it's a wonderful opportunity. If you can't go to Fan Day, I would almost rather as – a fan go to this because it's so much interactive there's no long lines it's not a um, formulaic uh, where you want to say it's just really laid back mm-hmm. so yeah you, you probably want to run in the race or do something but or have somebody in your family run while you're there but yeah there's a lot of players just mingling about and signing autographs and talking with fans and kids and it's really a neat event. Have you ever run a 5K? No. No. Okay. Have you? I have. I have run, before I had kids, I used to run like three miles a day. I was like 20 pounds lighter than I had kids, and that kind of went out and, the window. No more, huh? But yeah, I used to run, I, I've run a couple 5Ks. Okay. I don't know if I'd say my times were great. I've always, I still say, and I need to do it soon before I get too old, but I need to do the half marathon. That's something I'd like to check off. There you go. Because I see every year someone, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but someone does it. <laughs> I'm just like, if that person can, can do, do it, it, I can. Oh, yeah. Mentally, yeah. I can will myself to do it. Absolutely. Um, so I need to just kick it into gear and get that done. But, yeah. well, I think next year you need to do the 5K. Maybe, maybe so. Um, it's not that we'll, far. We'll have to see. I, I know. I know. <laughs> so, but you're right. You see certain people cross the finish line. You're like, oh, gosh. If that person can do it, then why can't I? And um, so maybe, maybe maybe I will. Maybe I'll run it next year and uh, write my story as a participant. We can a put a GoPro on you or something like that. We can have video of you running oh, the race. Boy. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> basically, my road races now are my son runs like mile. He's seven. He runs like the mile, uh, like the Havelock has a mile kids run or um, State Farm, and so I run those with him and. He runs them all the way, so that's good. I tell I tell him I can't beat him, and that's like the extra motivating factor for him. So, <laughs> um, uh, well, one thing it's not on our script, but we were talking about Fan Day. I just want to make sure everyone knows about Fan Day if they don't already. And I've gotten a couple emails about it. And one thing I definitely want people to know is it's completely free. 
don't need a ticket. It's going to be highly attended. Speaking of, as we said, there's this new coach, Scott Frost, which his line may stretch all the way down O Street. And it's on a Saturday. It is on a Saturday. It's um, later in the year this year. Usually it's been around August 1st, right around actually the start of fall camp. Usually yeah. it's like the day fall camp starts or the day before. Uh, this year it's on August 18th. Be here at Memorial Stadium. Um, it's a completely free event. Um, fans can come meet players. All the players will kind of be at tables by their position groups, um, meet the coaches. I think they're still deciding where to put Scott's table because usually the coaches <laughs> have had it like – yeah, Coach Riley, Coach Pliny, they were kind of in the end zone, and the lines went the whole length of the field down underneath the stadium, and now it's like, well, there's probably going to be a lot of people. Do we need to put Scott somewhere else in the stadium and almost have his own separate line that when people show up, it's like, if you want to get Scott's line, you need to go over here, and that might be the only autograph you get because the event is two hours long, and when time's up, time's up. Um, it's true. How many fan days have you been to? Uh, countless. Too many that you that you want to name? Dozens. It, it. I will say this for. For it's a great event for kids and families. Um, now the ones I, I've been to have been as a media person yes, to cover. Yes. I would. Maybe not willingly. Go to a fan day. I was never a kid or person that really got into autographs or paraphernalia. I have some. I'm not going to say I don't have any, but. Mm-hmm. I just never, and I still don't. I just. I don't know why. I was just never really a big autograph type of person. I like to meet people and um, famous people and stuff like that. But I just, yeah, I just never really got into it as much. But um, but you definitely see forty-year-old um, men in jerseys show up to these things and get their autographs. So more power to them. I just, uh, yeah. But the ones I've been to is they've always been as a media member covering or taking pictures or tweeting or what you know whatnot well we'll have more information on our website i know there's a little bit up there right now it's basically um time of the event where it's at but eventually we'll have a map of the stadium kind of showing where all the different position groups will be at um you can find that on huskers.com um also we were just talking about brian's uh going to the road race he has a story up on huskers.com currently um brian writes a lot of content for there um you'll find it in our huskers in depth section um going back to fan day just real quick you know you've been to a lot of them. What's the craziest thing, and maybe you don't have something, that you've seen someone ask a player or coach to sign? Because I have one that I can think of. Um, maybe I'll share mine first while you think quick. Well, I, I know mine. I don't know if I can say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what I'll say is I remember – so so kind of how it sets up we have position groups usually someone from the communication staff kind of sits in each position group make sure the line helps the line keep moving players need a gatorade they need a pen, an extra pen to sign with and uh a very pregnant lady came through the line this is um i don't know what year it was but taylor martinez was quarterback this year and uh she goes here i want you to sign this taylor said what like she didn't have anything in her hands he's like well ma'am, what would you like me to sign? And she kind of stuck her, st- her stomach out, and she goes, I want you to sign this. Okay, we and, have the same story. <laughs> and, okay, and he goes to start to sign. You just put it more – you have more tact than I would have used he, put it that way. He goes to start to sign her jersey. She goes, no, 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 wait a second. And she pulls yeah, up her, yeah. jer- her jersey and yeah. shows her pregnant stomach and says, yep. no, I want you to sign my stomach. And Taylor kind of looked at me for a second, and I said, ma'am, I, Taylor, are you comfortable with this? And he goes – yeah, I guess. And <laughs> and he signed it, and she thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm, I'm thinking about him I'm like, you know, eventually you're going to have to sh- – I've never got the thing where people have people sign their body parts because it's like, oh, I'm never going to wash their skin. Well, yeah, you are. Like, it'll wear off eventually even yeah, if you or don't it, Or it'll it. wear off. So yeah. having – she didn't – the thing was, yeah, maybe it was cool to have him sign your belly and yada, yada, yada. But Take a picture of it and put it in the frame. I don't she know. She didn't have him sign anything else. So I'm thinking, well, mm-hmm. have him sign the jersey too and – the other one I always get is, uh, which I would never do as a parent, is people come to the line with a very small child and say, hey, can you can you take my child and let me take a picture with you? And all the players, I, myself, I always just said, no, ma'am, just for insurance, re- ma'am, mister, for insurance reason, we're not going to let the the uh, the player hold hold your hold your child now if they can stand next to him sure but yeah I think that's a bad bad thing to put a uh, 18 19 20 year old 
person into is is holding someone else's child because you know if anything would ever happen that would but you see some crazy things on fan day yeah we'll have to ask some players some ask some players sometime the the craziest things they've been asked to sign or that might be a great feature this year for fan day or right yeah Yeah. there we go we just got got Mm. our our idea for writing for fan day now we just have to find somebody who writes it Hmm. hmm i don't know who that would be I can take some photos of it. You can write, you can you can talk to him. Um, okay, so our last topic before we get to Jamie, we're going to talk about Brady Schnell. For those out there in Husker Nation that might not know, Brady Schnell played golf here back in the early 2000s. He's from Omaha, and he's going to be playing in a big golf tournament here in about uh, well today. Um, teed off this little, morning. Little thing they call the British Open. Yeah, the British Open. So how about that? Um, it's really cool. So. For those that don't know, Brady qualified for the British Open. He, he plays on the web.com tour right now. Um, he's been on that since 2010, I believe. Um, but last year, he won the 2017 Visa Argentina Open, and that automatically qualified for the British Open. I know, I think you and I were, you, you talked to Brady recently. You're going to have become a feature out on it pretty soon, correct? Correct. Um, we talked to Connor Stang. Here in the communications office, he's a big golf fan, as well as our boss, Keith Mann. And do you remember how many ex- qualifying things there are for the British Open, do you recall? There's a long list. There's a very long list. I want to say like 49 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and he made one of them to get into this. Um, so that's being played at Carnoustie, all the way across the pond. Um, the other interesting thing about Brady is he might be on the big tour next year. He's actually been in a really good spot to be doing that. Yeah, he's, I'm, I'm assuming you talked to him about that. Yeah, he's right on the fringe of it. Um, he would have to, how did he put it, blow a 28-point lead in the fourth quarter type of fall to not make it at this point. He's He will make it unless yeah. something really bad or bizarre happens. And so, so basically, for those that don't know, and I didn't know before, um, Judd Cornell, the, the assistant coach for the men's golf team now who played with Brady, emailed me this. Um, so basically the top 25 money winners on the web.com tour automatically get boosted up to the PJ Tour next year. And I think when I looked yesterday, Brady is at 16th right now. And from talking to Keith, those numbers don't fluctuate a ton. Um, un- one unfortunate thing for him making the British Open, if you can find a negative, is the web.com is in Omaha this weekend, yeah. which is his hometown. Did you talk to him about that at all? Like, I didn't. I didn't ask him about okay. missing out on that. I, I figured the answer would be obvious, but yeah, uh, yeah it would have been cool for him to, uh, of all of the events on the web.com tour, to do the one in Omaha. But he's obviously got better things going right now. Yeah. So I know he's playing in Group Two, I believe. Um, a crazy thing that I found when I was looking at his bio, and this is something when I was growing up, it was like you can't be a golfer and a baseball player because of the swing and all those type of things. His senior year, he did not play golf at Millard West because he wanted to play baseball instead. He was a good baseball player, um, hit 400, um, was like a state leader in doubles, RBIs, runs, was also a pitcher. I think that's pretty crazy that you had somebody that basically skipped their senior season of the sport that they are good at now because they loved baseball so much and wanted to do that also. It obviously didn't deter him. It it did not. hurt him, so... I'm sure he's got great memories of that baseball season, too, so I'm glad he was able to do that. I would assume so. Um, What's really cool about Brady, and he's he's such a great ambassador for the university, no matter whether you see him do an interview on the Golf Channel or what have you. He's always got a Nebraska shirt or cap or something on, and he actually grew up in Iowa and moved to Omaha, I think, when he was... 10 or 11 somewhere in there and grew up a Hawkeye fan and quickly converted over to a Husker fan because being in Omaha and being around it he just you know really couldn't help it so but I think it's cool that he's uh always talking about Nebraska wearing Nebraska gear etc and he's just a great ambassador for the university and, and the athletic department and huge Husker football fan really excited about Scott Frost we talked about that a little bit too and uh, he's uh, as excited as anybody for the football season to start. So Yeah. All right, well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up. People probably don't want to listen to me talk to you anymore, so we're going to bring Jamie Vaughn in, and uh, he can educate us on things that we got wrong earlier in the show. And uh, I'm sure there's some. And uh, you have some questions for him, so uh, I'm going to get off, and we'll let, we'll let Jamie jump in.
Okay, we are joined now by uh, Jamie Vaughn, Associate Athletic Director for Compliance here at the University of Nebraska, and we're going to be talking about the, the new redshirt rule um, in which in football a player can now play up to four games in a season and still maintain his redshirt. It's been a kind of a fast-moving rule, I think, Jamie, wouldn't you say? When did this actually kind of start gaining traction? Because we were talking about uh, Jeremy and I earlier that we were surprised that it came down this fast. When did it kind of start getting traction? It was initially submitted uh, in September, beginning of September of 2017, uh, and was in progress uh, throughout the fall semester. And uh, once we got past the NCAA convention in January uh, and early February, uh, it was ready for a vote. It got tabled initially in April and uh, was eventually adopted by the NCAA Council in June. So it, not on a super fast track, but it, it did, you know, it, it got into the hopper very quickly in, in September and then made it through the process. Um, there wasn't a lot of opposition, but there was some. And um, like you said, it's a football specific rule. Weird kind of debating earlier about what some of the negatives would be. What the people who opposed it, what were their drawbacks or hesitations with the rule? I think the only drawback that I heard was just rushing into changing something that we've been doing for so long. Okay. And anytime uh, you have a rule that applies to all sports and then a single sport decides to make a change to how they approach that, it causes people pause a little bit so I think that was the primary issue is are you know are we thinking about this clearly before we make this kind of change and um, you know I think as we move forward uh, other sports are going going to be interested in, in seeing if this rule would be good for them as well we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later but what, what are your general thoughts on the rule um, and, and coach Frost and the staff here what, what do you guys think of it yeah we we haven't talked at length um, about it with the football staff uh, they're aware of it obviously um, it gives them a lot of flexibility uh, in how they make decisions about who gets on the field and who does not uh, during certain times of the year my personal view is that it's a great rule um, our student athletes are allowed to be here for five years anyway and if they're making good progress and they're practicing and going to class and doing the things that they are here to do you know the, the coaches ultimately decide whether or not somebody plays anyway and this gives them flexibility uh, I think it's a win-win I think it gives the athletes an opportunity to you know see where they stand early in their career that's when I would envision most of this occurring would be early in somebody's career so I think it's a good thing I think it allows the athletes to you know have an opportunity to see if they're ready to play and it gives the coaches you know an opportunity to see whether or not what they see on the practice field will, will translate to a game is it more excuse me is it more work for your department how do you track this as a department uh... Is it like at the end of the season thing where you just go back and review it? Do you keep track of it game by game? How do you, as a compliance department, make sure that all the uh, T's are crossed and the I's dotted? Yeah, good question. I, I don't think this will create more work for, for us in terms of how we monitor it. Right now, you know, the, the line that we draw in the sand for whether or not you're redshirting is, is zero games. Uh, now we're changing it to four. So at the end of each season, we'll evaluate um, – each athlete individually to see if they met that threshold of four contests and, and whether or not they've already used a red shirt year and documented accordingly. It's, it, I don't think it'll be a burden at all. We were talking about other sports possibly joining in on this. Is it feasible for all sports to do it or do you think there's a kind of a, a line to be drawn with, with uh, maybe just team sports versus individual sports or anything or how, how do you see that possibly unfolding down the road? You know, every sport has its own culture, and um, you know, I don't, I haven't had an opportunity to get the pulse of all yeah. of our head coaches. My thought initially would be that, like I said earlier, because our coaches already decide when somebody is ready uh, to compete against another institution, 
that this just gives them more flexibility to see earlier in somebody's career if they're ready. Um, and so I, I, I think it will drive some change. I don't know which sports specifically, but I would be very surprised if other sports don't want to join the movement, so to speak. And, and Jimmy, do you have other topics of uh, compliance or anything that you would like to address or, or, or talk about during our uh during our time here? Yeah, you know, there's a, we, we had a lot of uh, proposals that were on the table this last year, and there's a few that I think uh, will gain headlines uh, in, in our industry that are going to be cloached, you know, closely watched. Uh, one of them would be a, a new rule that will no longer require an athlete to get permission to contact other schools mm. uh, if they want to transfer. I think that's going to gain a lot of attention. Um, so the rule now would be that if a student athlete wants to transfer, they just simply have to notify you that they intend to do that. And once they do that, we're going to be required to uh, put that information out there through an NCAA database. So other schools will be able to log in and see that Joe Smith on this team is leaving Nebraska. And so they'll know that they can go ahead and start reaching out to that athlete. What they did to try to um, not incentivize cheating or tampering is to increase the penalty uh, for coaches that are caught trying to intervene in that process prior to the athlete indicating that they want to transfer. Uh, I don't, I, you know, there's so many different ways that that those types of communications already happen behind the scenes that I'm not sure that that's really going to be very effective, mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that's put out there. And so in response to that, a different proposal now allow will allow us to cancel a student's scholarship if they notify us that they want to transfer. Um, we can't do it before the end of the term that they're in, but that gives the university more um, protection in that situation as well. So right now, a lot of the rules that have changed regarding student-athlete scholarships, multi-year agreements, things of that nature um, are very student-athlete friendly. Uh, we've been very supportive of that at Nebraska. But in this situation, if somebody indicates that they don't want to be here and they're having conversations with other schools about transferring, this will give us the flexibility to go ahead and let them know that we don't intend to continue their scholarship after that term. We're talking with Jamie Vaughn, uh, Associate Athletic Director for Compliance at Nebraska, about some uh, new proposals and new rules coming through. So was the one we were just talking about, is that just a proposal at this point, or is that for sure going to happen with the, with the uh, transfer rule? That's been adopted. Okay. That will not be effective until mid-October. Okay. Um, and that's all sports? Yes. Okay. And, and the reason... Uh, mid-October, usually a lot of our legislation is effective August 1st so that it impacts mm -hmm. the immediate start of a, of a new year. Uh, but the database I talked about still has to be <laughs> prepared uh, properly by the NCAA staff, and they needed more time to, to get that up and going and, and work out the bugs. So given the time frame, uh, they felt like mid-October would be a better time frame to, to try and start that process. What is the process now for a transfer? Is it a little bit more complicated than that as far as just putting your name out there? Yeah, right, right now you have to get permission to, to, yeah. to talk to other schools. I mean, technically, that's what the rule says is that another four-year school cannot talk to a student-athlete at a school if they don't have permission first from the other institution. So that can be a cumbersome and burdensome process um, once – it's out there publicly that somebody's leaving. The amount of communication we get from other schools seeking permission is dramatic. I bet, I bet. Uh, and obviously it depends on who the athlete is and what sport they play also, but generally speaking, the amount of communication we get from outside is astronomical. And so... This will kind of cut out the middleman. That's what we're hoping. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to this this change uh, I think when we make changes like this it's important to see how they you know see how things work for a year or two before you overreact on the front end a lot of people are they don't like change or they fear change and I think change can be good um, 
And in this case, I, I think we just need to let it play out and see how, how things go. Uh, do we have other rule changes? Or there, there was one other up? one I thought, you know, um, we have a lot of baseball fans uh, here at Nebraska. Um, there's a new rule that's going to allow Coach Erstad and his staff to play two games in the fall against outside opponents. And so, you know, I know right now they, they do a good job of, of uh, having their World Series, uh, but that's an inter-squad scrimmage. Uh, this will allow Coach to bring in an, an opponent and let his guys play somebody different in the fall. Softball has a, a rule right now that allows them to do that in the fall. And I believe soccer does the same thing in the off season, do they not? Like soccer the does it spring? in the spring. Yeah. And so this this will, you know, and that was part of the impetus uh, that we have other sports. Volleyball does it in the spring, um, just to allow them in their off season to to compete against an outside opponent. So it's only two contests. Uh, softball currently has eight, but baseball and softball are two entirely different sports. So. I think that's exciting. The weather here in the fall is usually great, and I think it's a great opportunity for those guys to, you know, the hard work they put in early in the fall to be able to, to go out and kind of test the waters against another school would be good for them and, and I think good for our fans. Okay. Jimmy, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll wrap up this uh, podcast, and we'll talk to you again this week. Uh, this is Brian Rosenthal, and we will talk to you next week sometime.